the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you for another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for joining us this Sunday night. Uh, We have been bombarded with politics and the news media for how many years now? And it's always been an issue as we go further and further into information uh, analysis, we try to figure out what's true and what's not true. We've heard the term fake news uh, thrown about, and after we listen to that, we wonder what is not fake news and, and what can we rely on. So tonight we have an expert in the field. We have John Kersey, who is a professor at uh, uh, Tri-C at Cuyahoga County Community College, and uh, I'd like to welcome him. John, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, Nick. It's great to be here and to talk about this very important subject. It, it is incredibly important. Uh, as, as we were talking before the interview uh, tonight, uh, I was mentioning that I like to think of myself as a, a factual-based Republican. Uh, what does that mean? It means that I have to have facts that I, I really trust and believe in. And yet over the last 10, 15 years, we have gone really down a road where we can't rely or trust on what we hear. We're required to do further research or something. Uh, what's going on with, with fake news in that whole term? Well, in a nutshell, what's happening is more and more what we hear or see or read, if it's social media or see a meme or a video or something like that, uh, is not completely factual or accurate. Somebody is behind it, and they're behind it perhaps for nefarious purposes. And in the United States, it's incumbent on us as consumers, basically, media consumers, to take a little bit of time and to investigate and try to ascertain what I call the original source of stories and information and understand what bias or attempts to influence us might be involved. Uh, there is bias in just about all news, and it helps if people understand that and realize where they get their news from and then make some ascertainment whether this is accurate or not. There was a bunch of research in the 2016 presidential election, for example, Nick. Uh, Trump supporters, 40% of them said they got their information from Fox News. And a far distant was CNN with 8%. And then in third place was Facebook. At 7%. Well, there's something you can trust everything on. Well, as we all know, <laughs> Facebook doesn't have news. All Facebook does is, is basically let people and organizations post opinions, and then you draw your own conclusions from them. But the fascinating thing was if you were voting for Hillary Clinton, then CNN was your top choice for news at 18%, and then MSNBC at 9%, and then Facebook was third at 8%. Now, what we're going to be seeing in 2020, from the research I've seen and others have been watching, is that the percentage of people who get their news, and I use that word now in quotes, Mm -hmm. get their news from social media is going to be higher and higher and higher. I do a media reflection uh, paper at the end of every semester for my intro to the mass communication students, and the vast majority of them are telling me that they're getting all of their news from social media. What what is social media? To me, it's... um it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, and none of those have news departments. And Snapchat and TikTok, and none of those have news departments either. How, but, how 
do people justify that? I mean, if my my friend sends me something that's a cartoon of somebody with a snotty comment on it, uh, and I take that as news, or what what's going on? Depends on the source, doesn't mm-hmm. it, Nick? Here's here's what's going on. The competition is really for our time, for the amount of time that we will spend watching something, reading something, listening for something. So in the United States, journalism outlets are privately owned, with one exception. So every entity is trying to basically get more of your time and attention and figuring that that's going to end up getting more of your wallet. And I can say that as somebody who's been a New York Times digital subscriber now for almost five years. I understand when the New York Times starts putting videos up on Twitter and other social media outlets, what they're really trying to do is make people spend more time reading any content or watching any content that comes to the New York Times, figuring on down the road that will convert into dollars. And I'm a pretty pragmatist. One of the timeless truths I teach to my intro to MassCom students is it's all about the Benjamins. And you've got to see mass media from that perspective. So Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, and Instagram mm-hmm. and other things that are out there, more and more of the social media are developing more and more content on those platforms trying to get people to watch and then eventually pay to watch or pay to read that content. We all know this, right? Some of us subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. Some of us might not. You get so many articles, and all of a sudden this little thing pops up and says, you've reached your quota of free articles. You now have to pay if you want to keep reading the Wall Street Journal. So that's how the, the media outlets are using social media to try to uh, generate more revenue. Now, having said that, the vast majority of what purports as news on Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, so on and so forth, WhatsApp, and other, other social media outlets is not really news. It's just a repost of what other people have, have thought is interesting, like you said, that cute meme or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's designed maybe benevolently to generate a ha-ha or, hey, that's kind of nice. Or it can be malevolent as I discussed about what was happening in Houston, Texas in 2016. Uh, in, in that instance, two groups kind of sprang up the same day on social media. One was called Heart of Texas, and the group Heart of Texas was planning a rally and a demonstration against a Islamic library that was opening up in the center of Houston, Texas. And then another group instantly sprouted up to defend it, and that group was called Save Islamic Values. And these two groups held opposing rallies on a Saturday in May 2016 Travis Street, downtown Houston, Texas, right across the street from each other. Well, one of the sites had vile and vicious, basically, death threats put on it. Oh, we ought to bomb this place. Things to that effect. So the Houston Chronicle covered the demonstration and they covered the counter-demonstration. The reporter went to both sides and tried to find the organizers of the rally. Went to Heart of Texas looking for the organizer, couldn't find the organizer went to the group called Save Islamic Knowledge, looked for the organizer, couldn't find the organizer. So the reporter, a great guy named Mike Glenn at the Chronicle, goes back to his newsroom and asks the computer science department, help me out here, the computer tech people. And they traced both groups' origins back to an entity called the Internet Research Agency that's based in St. Petersburg, Russia. So when you have entities like that using social media in posts that are basically designed to divide our country to right, hit right. one element against another. That's where you get into what is really, in my mind, fake news, and I would even call it beyond fake news. That's a concerted effort to disinform people, to make people think differently than they normally would think. Well, well, that makes it look like uh, we talk about Russia and I'm sure China and other countries. 
uh, as they participate in, in this uh, disruption, uh, the destabilization of our country, maybe other countries as well. Uh, the the point is just uh, political gamesmanship and on the international scale, or is there something else involved here? Well, let's let's take a broad picture and then kind of <laughs> move up to the current the current okay, you know, sure. line. Uh, in 1798, Congress passed at at the behest of President John Adams something called the Alien and Sedition Acts. And again, many of us study this in law classes or in journalism mm-hmm. classes. This was a reaction to French agitation that was trying to influence the election of 1800. So there really isn't anything new under the sun in terms of what I'd call foreign involvement in the American democratic or political process. <coughs> what made what happened in 2016 so noteworthy was the breadth and the scope of what had occurred. The fact that these entities spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on advertising to support what they were trying to do. And it basically kind of illuminated, in my mind, this dirty secret that's been happening, like I said, for hundreds of years, which is that uh, foreign nations have been involved for a long, long time in trying to influence the outcome of elections in the United States. It really isn't anything new. Uh, What's new is the advent of social media, and basically social media provides the best possible conduit for disinformation techniques. Uh, Let me give you an example that longer longer minds can can get wrapped around. In the 1980s, uh, a story began to appear in India, in Africa, in places in behind the, the, the Iron Curtain, that it was the United States military, specifically the United States Army, that had created the AIDS virus. And this was propagated and pushed by the Soviet Union's disinformation arm. And they thought they had gotten the greatest success in the world in fall of 1987 when Dan Rather did a story about that on the CBS Evening News. Because that's one of the ultimate goals of a disinformation campaign, is to make people think B when A is the actual truth. And the truth in this case is the Army had nothing at all to do with the AIDS virus or development of it. But yet you can find thousands of references to this in media, in movies, in songs even, all in the popular media in the United States today, more than 30 years after this has happened. That's the goal of a disinformation campaign, is to sow seeds of doubt, to sow seeds of dissension, Here's another one that was a bit more recent. Uh, In 2003, there was this great accusation that the the Americans allowed the looting of priceless art in an art museum in Baghdad after the fall of the the Hussein regime. Mm -hmm. Completely false, completely made up. But that type of disinformation goes all through media, and people accept it as truth when it's a lie. Well, so this has been going on for some time, going back to 1798 with regard to the French. Uh, and and I, I noticed, going back even to the days of Abraham Lincoln, the newspapers were terribly partisan. Uh, you had the, uh, the left and the right-wing newspapers supporting and uh, hating Lincoln. Uh, so we haven't really changed too much other than we have been witnessing the explosion of, of news opportunities. If I can get this in before the break, right? I'm just reading something. Here. Well, let me, let me catch you because we're just about out of time. Okay. But we're, we're talking about fake news. We're talking to John Kersey from uh, Cuyahoga County Community College, an expert on the field of fake news. And we're going to be back after these words. So don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. 
Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, tonight we're talking to Professor John Kersey from Tri-C College here in Cleveland um, on the topic of fake news. And, John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Great to be here. Um, we're talking about fake news and, and how people can be influenced by pretty much anything they hear in the news, and we need to know whether it's fake or true. Uh, you have an article you're going to read us, and we're going to guess what year this article was written. Go ahead. Sounds good. Here it is. I learned from a distinguished gentleman from New York that there is a movement afoot looking toward the impeachment of the president at the opening of the next session of Congress. Every intelligent man and woman is aware of the crimes committed by the chief executive. We have ample furnished grounds for impeachment. The first draft of the articles of impeachment is already drawn up. When do you think? Well, it sounds like it was last week uh, out of the New York Times. The year is 1863. The publication is the Chicago Times, and the subject is Abraham Lincoln. Things, things have never changed uh, from, from that standpoint. 
And, and you go back and you think of what life was like back in that time. No television, no radio, no internet, no uh, no Fitbits, no cell phones, uh, nothing. How do they know of anything that went on? Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself, though, and, and your background and, and what got you interested in this area. Well, sure. I worked in news in the 1970s and the early 1980s. I was a community newspaper reporter and then a magazine editor in the business press. I have a master's in journalism from a little place in Columbus, the Ohio State University, and a couple of additional master's in degrees from Kent State University. Mm -hmm. But uh, I worked in public relations after journalism and was involved in influencing public opinion, both uh, internally, like in terms of corporations, and externally in terms of how corporations work with communities. And then around 2002, 2003, I went to a, a talk a friend of mine gave at Cahaga Community College, and the president of the campus started uh, talking with me and left the conversation with this thought, you know, you ought to think about coming here as a part-time faculty member. And that led to a career change for me. I started to teach part-time and then joined the faculty full-time at Cahaga Community in 06, 07, and I've been there ever since. And uh, that's, uh, that's kind of how, how I got into this. But my background both as a journalist and in public relations, I think, sets me uh, up excellently to be a, a researcher on this topic. And I have read hundreds of articles about this, not just in the United States, but in democracies all over the globe, because how different countries uh, treat this information is of great interest. Well, <coughs> we, we know there is um, stuff out there. And I, as a trial lawyer, I, I noticed that you know, we have a difficult time talking to jurors depending on their age, and we'll have jurors who are always a mixed bag. We'll have some older people, we'll have some middle-aged people, we'll have a few young people. And it, it doesn't matter about their gender or their, their racial background or anything. It has more to do with how old they are, because older people seem more patient and willing to listen to stuff and listen to an explanation. The very young people are willing to take snapshots and summaries and they don't want to waste a lot of time with a lot of detail. And uh, the middle-aged people uh, are interested in looking at their watches and when do they get out uh, primarily. And, and I don't say that for everyone, but the thought is a lawyer's job is to try to address everybody at, at one time. And um, When we throw in the realities of dealing with fake news, I find out that uh, looking at news where we used to believe in it, we used to have this high level of trust in the news we would hear from news sources, that it uh, it seems like we, we don't have that trust anymore. And we don't have the time to take time off from work or family and research every bit of things we hear handed off to us as news. So, You know, Nick, that's great observation in a couple of points. Uh, there's a website I have called disinformationcampaigns.com. All together, disinformation campaigns. And on that site, you can actually get a couple of charts and it's under the idea of where do we go for news. One of them comes from Cheryl Atkinson, who I think very highly of, a former CBS News uh, reporter and editor. And then the other one is from Virginia Otero, who is a patent attorney, incidentally. And uh -huh. these are maps or kind of bias charts that show where the biases are in the media. And basically, you can look at that and look at where you get your news and kind of say, okay, this is a left-leaning site or a right-leaning site. And if you at least are aware of that, it will probably make you a bit more informed in terms of as you go out in the marketplace of ideas and share information in terms of what I call the original source for the news that you consume. 
Uh, I love that chart because, uh, and by the way, I, I heard your uh, presentation at the North Royalton Chamber of Commerce meeting uh, a month or two ago, and uh, I was very impressed with the fact that here's someone finally stepping up and trying to make sense out of the news chaos that we're being faced with. And uh, you did show a bias chart, which uh, had a center line, and then there were maybe about 50 news agencies, print, uh, TV, or whatever medias on the right side and about the same amount on the left side. Who prepared that chart, and was there any bias in selecting who they were, were biasing here? Right. Well, the chart that I used for that, uh, for that presentation came from Cheryl Atkinson. Uh, the, 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 the website has both hers and Virginia Otero's, and the reason I put them both up there is that there are some differences between the two. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, again, right, that's right. no surprise, right? You know, two different people are going to analyze news sources in different ways, but the, the thing I say on the website is take a look and, and, and judge for yourself. But before I forget, you know, we did talk about that presentation, and I do want to make people aware that I have created a typology of fake news. And there are four different types or four different ways in which fake mm -hmm. news comes at us. Oh, yeah. we, have, we have a few minutes. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, first what, what is, the, the first one is what I call the, the fun. Uh, people will, you know, jokingly put news out there that everybody knows is fake. And, you know, the Colbert Report and the Daily Show and, and their successors kind of created this 15, 20 years ago. But that's been around for a long time where we do news tongue-in-cheek. Um, the, 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 the weekend update that was on Saturday Night Live and still is for decades is that, right, right? Right. something that's completely fun. The second category is deceivers or, or people who, for some reason, they get a kick out of just deceiving the news media. Uh, there's a guy in Georgia that has, for a couple of decades now, had famous celebrities dying by falling off a cliff while hiking in New Zealand. And he's had 20 different celebrities do this, including Jeff Goldblum. And the funny thing about yeah, it is yeah, if you yeah. Google Jeff Goldblum's death, you could actually see Jeff Goldblum on uh, news outlets, talk outlets, talking about how, how he reacted to his own death being faked. So, and, again, that's been around for decades as well, people who just get a fawn out of that. There's a personal kick out of the individual coming up and sort of tricking everybody with yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, well, that, now that's still somewhat benign yeah, uh, so the, far. The Go the ahead. The third category goes mm -hmm. from benign to what I call potentially harmful. Mm -hmm. And these are uh, – in. Uh, deceivers who were doing it for profit. And the, the best example I can come up with was in the 2016 election, and some of you may have seen this. There were billboards supposedly in a viral campaign to get the Amish to come out and vote for Donald Trump. Oh, right, right. And the group was called Amish Pack, and the, the, the billboard had a picture of a buggy and said, this is your deadline to register, and so on and so forth. Well, this was the imagination of a couple of people in Macedonia and no, not Macedonia, Ohio. Not on but, Route 8. Yeah, right? not by Route 8, but the <laughs> nation of Macedonia. Young guys in their late teens, early 20s, who basically were getting the revenue from the hits from the websites and the social media content, hits that they were generating from posting these things. So hundreds of thousands of people were posting this and sharing this and saying, oh, look at this. This is amazing. And meanwhile, the whole thing was entirely fake. Is it that easy to uh, generate uh, profits by having so many hits on a website? Yes, it is. I mean, I could do that myself. I'm anybody, sitting here my computer. Anybody with a little bit of knowledge could do it. But here's the scary thing, right? If you went today to USA Today and you typed in on a search on the USA Today website, Amish Pack, mm -hmm. you would see that story, even though it's been debunked for years. And, mm -hmm. and the reason why, because I've looked at it, is that they get money every time somebody looks up that story. And the money to them is more important than the veracity of the story. And that, that's a scary commentary on where we are in the news world today. We have about a minute to go already, flying by way too fast. And um, 
but you know, Snopes comes to mind, uh, and you're familiar with Snopes. That yes. uh, used to it used to be more popular, I think, uh, a couple of years ago. Is is that a biased uh, group that's uh, giving up uh, answers? For those who don't know what Snopes is, it's a website. If you hear something like um, Donald Trump smokes bananas or something, and you can go to Snopes and say Trump bananas, <clears throat> you'll find out if that's really floating around in the internet. What the background and the origin is? Right. is Snopes, that? Snopes is a left-leaning type of a site, and just again, you have to go back to the funding. If if you really want to try to get more objective, there's a site out there called MediaBiasFactCheck.com. MediaBiasFactCheck.com. And again, if this is of great interest to you, you can look at that every day. I look at it most days, and you can see kind of what they're trending. And are they more neutral? Or are they more they're right-wing? More they're more neutral. Yeah, neutrality in reporting is sort of the key. You you teach journalism. And we're, we're out of time. I'm going to have to have you come back again because um, I, I think in the whole area of media, truth, veracity, and trust are, are all tied into one thing, and I think that's what we're talking about tonight. Sadly, they've been gone for decades. And I don't see any return. Uh, so you know, we're out here, everybody's punting uh, on making decisions, and we, the voters, uh, have that obligation to make the right decision. And uh, unless we get the right uh, information, we're not going to be able to do that. Well, anyway, John Kersey, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. The Advocate. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800.
More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, We're uh, getting near the end of the year, and we're starting to think about charities and giving gifts to charities and uh, making good things happen to people who otherwise good things would not happen to. And uh, you wonder when you give to a charity how that money is being spent and whether or not it's a decent charity. The last thing you want to know is that your charity is involved in some sort of scandal. Well, there is hope. There's an expert out there who studies and knows all about charitable foundations and charitable giving, and his name is Doug White. Uh, Doug, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, Nick, it's my pleasure to be with you. You And uh, you're calling from where tonight? I'm in New York City. That's where I hang my hat, and I like the city, but I've also been to Cleveland a few times, and I think it's one of the great cities of the country. It's, uh, it's, well, thank you so very much. Uh, we hear the listeners who are listening right now are uh, Cleveland survivors. I mean, we've elected to stay here, and we love it, so for the most part. <laughs> so uh, it's a great place to travel uh, around the rest of the country and the rest of the world from Cleveland and come back home. Uh, I, I heard well, let me tell you that my sense is that anybody who survives Cleveland isn't really sacrificing very much because <laughs> it's a great place to be. Well, uh, amen to that. I, I agree. There is one thing saying that uh, home, it's, uh, it's good to leave home and, and visit places, but it's just great to come back home again. And we do that here in Cleveland. But uh, also, Cleveland's big on charities, and uh, we support charities. Uh, I, I noticed that... Uh, you have been involved as a, an advisor, a teacher, an author uh, on philanthropic issues. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and what got you involved and interested in looking at this sector of our economy? I was invited to a dinner back in 1979 that began the process of a capital campaign at my uh, private high school in New Hampshire. They were celebrating their bicentennial starting that year. And afterwards, someone asked me if I knew why I was invited to the dinner. And I said, no, but it was great food, so thank you. And he said, well, actually, we were hoping that you would volunteer to go out and ask for some money in support of the capital campaign. And I was very young at the time and knew nothing, relatively nothing about charities. And I said, well, I'd be glad to do that because at the time I was selling life insurance and financial products. And so it wasn't any big deal to go ask people for money. So he gave me a list of five people, and I went to see all of them, and the goal was to get $1,000 for, for uh, each person, and I got it. I asked each person, and they said yes, and I was really impressed with the connection these people had to the cause, and I thought, this is really cool. People are actually giving away their money for this cause, and I felt connected to that. I felt like this was something I could... I could relate to. And so that began this, what's become really now more than, uh, actually a 40-year odyssey. 
And I've learned so much about human nature, uh, the goodness of the world, uh, the generosity people have for other people. Because to be charitable means you have to think beyond yourself. And I think that so many of us in America and around the world, let's be clear about that, it's not just a national issue, but I think people around the world are so are so willing to help other people. And to me, that's magical. It's, it's almost spiritual to watch that happen. And so then, as time passed, having that as a foundation for me, I began to be interested in how that works. What are the machinations of that? And so for the last 40 years, I've been looking into the way charities are run, the kind of people who run them, some of them being not so great. Uh, and so I, I've got my nose into the areas where hey, this is really important area of our society, and I don't want you to screw it up. And so it's important to call out the bad people. So that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last uh, several years, and, and most recently for the last 10 or 15 years, concentrating on helping boards, charitable boards, understand their roles as the stewards of charitable causes. It's been a wonderful journey, and, and I, I'm really grateful to have been able to, to, to take it. Well, it's an important role to play because uh, many times from being an outsider to any charity, we don't know the inside workings of that charity. We don't know anything more than how much money they bring in. They usually are public about that. And we have an idea that they spend some little most of that money on uh, stated goals uh, for, for certain demographics. Uh, so it, it's good to know there's uh, a body of knowledge out there that, that you have put together over these years that can help us uh, make decisions about what charities are good and what charities are bad. Um, you, you have a, a new book out that's uh, coming out, uh, I think, uh, last month or this month, called Wounded Charity about the uh, Wounded Warriors. There was... Uh, I would say there were, were allegations, and after all the dust settled, the allegations were proven false. Uh, does, does that happen much in charities? Are charities pretty much at the mercy of the media and, and stories that can sort of just pop up like that? It's usually the other way around. I, as I mentioned, started looking into charities and the way they're run and find bad things happening at charities, some, not all. In fact, most of the one million plus charities in the United States are are great places. But normally when you hear about a charity that's gone bad or doing bad things, you can you can count on that being fairly accurate and and it should be a red flag. But there are there are times when the media does not get the story correctly and that happens and that's not because they're a bad place themselves. It's just that sometimes stories can get their own life and they go, and, and in the case of Wounded Warrior Project, which is a very fine charity and always has been, you get some people who don't like what's going on, and they can start affecting the way people in the media think, and then the media does a story, and then the story is told. The point behind Wounded Charity is to not so much untell that story, because once it's out there, it's out there, but to correct it. And I say this with a great deal of respect for both the media organizations that promoted this, these allegations, they were the New York Times and CBS News. I have a high regard for CBS News and a high regard for the New York Times and a high regard for most media outlets. But sometimes they make mistakes. And in this case, the mistakes were so egregious, uh, I felt that uh, the truth had to come out, and I, I wanted to pursue this. It became a, 
a passion of mine because I wasn't paid to do this. Nobody gave me any money to do this. I just did it. And I actually stopped working at Columbia where I was the director of a program for charities in order to find the time to do this because it was so so unusual a story at, a, at an organization that was so important to veterans in the United States that I just wanted to find out more about it. So I took a few years and, and did it. Well, get to the truth. What? Yeah. What? What happened? What was the genesis of this? Uh, this bad mouthing, I suppose, of of that charity, Wounded Warriors, and why did it pick up so much uh, speed and uh, momentum? People like well, there bad are a news. Of, <laughs> there are a couple of reasons for that, Nick, and I think the the beginning of it all was a couple of people who began a Facebook page and then created an echo chamber with more and more people joining it. And these were of disgruntled former employees, and they were all talking bad about the charity. And I went into each of those histories, the people who were on the, on the Facebook page, and found out that they were dismissed for cause. And so there was a reason for them for not to be there any longer. I could understand their anger, but that anger does not necessarily translate to a legitimate criticism of the charity. But the New York Times got wind of this and felt that there was a story there. And I know this because the New York Times, separately from this, had called me about the Wounded Warrior Project successes over the years. And there had been a lot of discussion because Wounded Warrior Project grew very quickly. They went from a $10 million organization 10 years prior to uh, almost a $400 million organization by the year 2016. And so there was a lot of conversation as to how they were raising their money and how the money was being used. And, it, and so there was kind of like an opening for people who would normally be critical of a group that's growing quickly to actually st- actually starting their criticisms. And so the Times got into this, and they were not going to be writing a story very quickly. It was what I would call an evergreen story, something that could go right. at any point. But CBS News picked up the fact that the New York Times was working on it, and CBS News had its own hasty agenda by that time. Uh, and I'll get to why that is in a moment. But we, we have about a they minute. Wanted to do is, they wanted to get that out. Well, so the New York Times felt pressure to get, a, get that out as well. Well, we're talking to, uh, to Doug White. He's an expert on charities, philanthropic giving, and the organizations, how they're run, and, uh, and how they can get into trouble. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Doug White talking about charities and where your money goes after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at Select. 
www.insservice.com. 440-237-8555 or select insservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Uh, We're talking to Doug White, who's an expert on philanthropic giving and charities and and how charitable funds are used. Uh, Doug, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be here with you, Nick. No, we were talking about uh, how the Wounded Warrior Group uh, essentially got a bad rap, but it it sort of took off and spoiled uh, the donations that were received by the Wounded Warrior. Are are they back uh, to where they should be now? No, they're not. In the three years following the crisis, by the way, the crisis began in January 2016 with the media reports and then took another turn after that about a month later when the two top people were fired. And in my view, they, there was really no reason for those two to go. And it was, a, it was a board problem more than anything else. But to your question, they lost over $660 million in the following three years. Over the last year, I think they've come, they have come back a little bit from their low point, but they're nowhere near where they should be. I think what's going to happen is that they may not get to where they should be for two reasons. One is the lingering effects of this scandal, and I think of it as a scandal of a media dimension as opposed to one of a charity dimension. But on top of that, the new leadership has, I think, a smaller vision for the organization. So I don't believe that Wounded Warrior Project will get back to where it was, but they're still one of the nation's great charities. They're just not as good as they were, in my view. And uh, what I mean by not as good, I don't want to be too broad, or I don't want to accuse without rationale, 
what I mean by that is that they have cut down on some of their programs, eliminated some of their programs. The most important program that I see that's been affected has been the long-term trust. These guys and gals come back from war at very young ages, and they will need care, many of them, for the rest of their lives. And the old regime at Wounded Warrior Project knew that this was going to cost money if they were going to help them. And they're going to be helped in ways that the VA isn't currently able to do because it's just too large a task. And they were going to put together a trust that was going to be funded with about a billion dollars over time. Well, the funding for that has stopped. That's partly because the funding to Wounded Warrior Project has stopped. So the, the money part of it is one thing, but the money, effective money, is the other. And that is that all these young men and women are going to be served in a way they wouldn't have been had the, the organization continued as it was. I do hope they come back. I want them to come back. I think they're a good organization. I don't have any fault with the current leadership other than that I do think they have a different vision, but they're good people. And so if you think of this, this is going to be simplistic, but follow me here. Uh, you have a scale of one to 10, and I think that most charities are probably around five. I'm a hard grader, by the way, and I taught in college, so, you know, there you go. There you uh, go. Five. <laughs> they would be probably, in the old days, charity, uh, Wounded Warrior Project would be, let's say, a nine. But And, and after, after everything, after three years right now, I would say they're around a seven or so. So I would say they're well past the average charity, well past it, uh, but not as good as they were. Well, it, I remember when the story broke about Wounded Warrior, and uh, of course, news is normally bad news. And when you're filtering all kinds of news coming from all kinds of news sources, then you hear Wounded Warrior is a bad organization. That's pretty much all you remember. Uh, and the years going by now, th that taint that came about so easily and so quickly in 2016 uh, apparently is still uh, affecting that charity. I want to switch gears just a little bit, uh, going to uh, Operation uh, Varsity Blues. And uh, with regard to giving to universities, uh, I, I see now that Lori Laughlin, who is uh, charged criminally for bribing officials to get her two daughters into a university, uh, is going to basically demand a trial. At least that's how it looks today. And if that happens, uh, I would assume that there's going to be some discussion about why they gave it to these groups. And I understand a fellow named Rick Singer runs a couple of groups, Key Worldwide Foundation uh, and The Edge. Uh, if these are portrayed as uh, what the IRS calls 501c3 foundations, uh, it may be a criminal defense that they were giving money donating to charities. I guess the whole point of, of my comment is that by the time Varsity Blues plays out, do you think we're going to have a taint and a bad reputation and, uh, and impacting on all charities where people can misuse these funds? I hope so, because I think the conversation needs to be elevated. I think this particular case, the Lori Laughlin case, is particularly interesting because she's not backing down. Uh, they paid, I think, $500,000, if I'm not mistaken, which is different from Felicity Huffman, who who served a very brief time in jail for a smaller issue, but also because she confessed. 
uh, Lori Laughlin has not confessed she's gone the other direction. Her main, I believe, her main argument will be that she gave to charity. And so it was not a bribe, it was a charitable gift. I, as you can probably imagine, Nick, do not find that to be a credible uh, statement, but I think that's where she's going to go in court. And I wrote an article about this about three weeks ago um, and, and argued that through. It was an ethics column that I do and said this was not really a charitable gift because it was so obviously a transaction. And you're right, the, the, the Springer's uh, uh, charity, I don't believe it was a real charity. It's not, not a good charity. It's legally a charity, but I don't think it's, it's a real charity in the way I look at charities. It's just a pass-through. And so there is a, a tremendous amount of responsibility for the IRS and attorneys general to look at that question. But on the other hand, in addition to all of that, I mean, we can be mad at Felicity Huffman, we can be mad at all of the parents who are taking part in this, but you know, the other charities that should be really held to account are the receiving charities. In this case, you were talking about the university, that's the University of Southern California, and there were other universities. They cannot have not known what was going on. They were turning a blind eye. Now, I'm not saying that as a fact, Nick, so just understand that, and I know you're an attorney, so I want to be very careful. Yeah, so you're not held to that here. We're just talking. We're just talking. In my, in my heart of hearts, I believe they should be held accountable and should explain why they let that kind of thing happen. So, yes, the parents are at fault here. Springer's at fault. There was a, a, a scheme to, to do something that should not have been able to be done. But a large part of the equation is filled with those universities that allowed it to be happening while they were looking the other way. What, what I haven't heard yet is with regard to uh, Lori Laughlin's uh, tax returns. Uh, has that been made public yet as to whether or not they actually took those tax deductions as charitable donations? I am waiting with bated breath on that point. Now, as you know, the tax returns of individuals are not automatically a public document like charity information returns are. And so that'll have to be subpoenaed and made public uh, through the process. And I don't know if that'll happen, but... One of my questions in this article a couple of weeks ago was, if they're so darn charitable, like the attorney is saying they are, let's see what they are doing from a charitable perspective. And that would be very, I think, revealing. We don't know the answers to that, but I would imagine that we would we would be finding that they're not all that charitable. And if they did take a tax deduction, that would show that they deducted it. But that makes, in a way, the, the case even worse, because here they are taking public money yeah. to pay for their bribe. Well, that, that would, uh, I mean, we don't know all the facts, uh, and, and that's where the lawyers come in, because I think in defending the case, uh, if, for example, you go back 10 years and you see that they donate uh, to charity at least a million dollars a year for for those years, and uh, USC has been one of their favorite uh, charities, they've been putting out uh, three, four $400,000 a year to USC, I you know, we don't know. We'll see if uh, the defense comes up and produces those records uh, to show that. But, uh, but, yes. but in any event, yeah. um, Doug, we're running out right. of time. And, uh, but I just want to thank you so much, uh, not just for, for talking to us tonight, for, uh, for doing the things you do, because we do need to have faith in our charities. And uh, people are basically good. And when asked for the proper reason, they're going to give. And uh, I think that's basically the thought until everyone is so disillusioned uh, that they're not going to give anymore, at least on an individual basis. So we can't abuse that trust that the uh, 
us members of the public have toward charities. But you're out there as a watchdog. We appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Well, thank you, Nick, for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we're going to be back next week, same time, same station. So between and have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh milk.